Well, it is Memorial Day, and it is the weekend that we honor those who have sacrificed their lives for our freedom. Uh, we honor the men and women who have given so much to secure the freedoms that literally cause America to be the envy of the world. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment, how unique America really is. I mean, there, there is no other place on planet Earth where people literally line up and wait patiently in order to, in order to leave their homeland to come here legally. Think about how incredible that is. People by the millions want to come here. And, and, and think about this, that, that there are people who are willing to risk their lives and leave everything that they know in order to come here even illegally. There is just something incredible about America. There is something unique, and God has most certainly blessed the United States. Amen? Something incredible here. And so for you men and women who have served our nation, we honor you. We say thank you for your incredible service. Amen? We really do. I was reading an article by a uh, very famous preacher this last week, and it, and it really made me mad. It, it really made me mad because he, he started off well. He, he started off in this little article. It was talking about patriotism. It talked about the love of God and the love of country and how they can come together or maybe not come together. And he, and he was talking about at first, he was doing so well. He said that, um, that being a Christian doesn't mean that you give up your nationality or your ethnic background, right? And, and it, it's true. He, he talked about this idea that in heaven, um, it's so beautiful because in heaven it says that there is a collection of every tribe, nation, and people group on earth. And that the beauty of heaven is, is found in, in the diversity of God's children. And that is so true. That is incredibly true, right? And then he started talking about how, uh, about the, this idea that, that when we, because we're Americans, it doesn't mean that uh, loyalty to God and loyalty to country, that they're not uh, incompatible, he, doesn't, he says that they're not mutually exclusive, and I, I agree with that. that um, as a matter of fact, he points out in this little article that um, w- when it comes to being a Christian, you can be a good Christian and a good citizen at the same time. You really can be. And, and he says even in the scriptures, Jesus points out how we are to both honor Caesar at the same time while honoring God. And it is true that we can do both. We can both honor God and honor our, the nation we live in. Would you agree? But this is where he makes me mad, really mad. He he says, so he gets to this conclusion. He says, so patriotism is a good thing. He says, patriotism, love for country is a good thing. It's okay. It's even a holy thing. But then he says this little line. He says, but it shouldn't be in church. He says, because, because somehow people might confuse worship of country and worship of God. And I say, that's crazy. Because when we gather and we celebrate and we remember the men and women who have served us and we thank God for the blessings of this nation, we're not worshiping this nation. We're not even worshiping these people. We are worshiping the God who gave us this nation. We are worshiping the God who blessed this nation. We are worshiping the God who gave us the birthright to be called Americans. Are you with me on this? And so we thank God. We thank God for the freedoms he's given to us. We celebrate these freedoms. And we celebrate the men and women who secured these freedoms for us. I was reading another article this, uh, a couple weeks ago that blew my mind. In Great Britain, England, the Western world, uh, and all across Northern Europe, it was tracking all the pastors that have been arrested for preaching from their pulpits the Word of God and what it says about traditional marriage. Arrested. And, and so, friends, I want to tell you something. I am grateful for a land where I can stand up here Or we can gather in a place like this and we can speak what God leads us to speak to whoever is willing to listen, both with gentleness and love, but we can speak the truth of God's word without the fear of being arrested or or, or somehow being stormed in on by the government. I am thankful for a world like this or a country like this. Amen? Y'all with me on this? I mean, you think about what's going on in our world today. Have you been following the news? Anybody? You follow what's going on. You have to have your head buried in the sand um, to not know what's going on with our Christian brothers and sisters around the globe. Um, As a matter of fact, the the best estimates from what I could uh, find, uh, the best estimates say that in the last 12 months alone, think about this, in the last 12 months alone, 
Worldwide, there have been over 100,000, 100,000 Christians slaughtered by Muslim extremists just because they are Christians. Not because they're at war, but just because they are Christians. And you think about the men and women who, who are being persecuted, our Christian brothers and sisters. Think about why they die. You see, terrorists die because of hate. But Christians willingly give up their lives because of love. Because of love for Christ, because of love for their family, because of people that they love. There's a profound difference. And when I hear of Christian brothers and sisters who are so willing to die for their faith, it does something inside of me. It stirs me. It it, it inspires me. And, And I just have to think that they have a life that God will reward, that God will reward. And and so uh, I don't know what we can do about what's going on with the persecution around the world. I don't know if you've even tracked it, but it's horrible. It is horrible what's going on in this world. And I can tell you this, that we're starting to look into it as a church about what we can do because we want to be a people who stand with our brothers and sisters. And I don't know if there's much we can do, but I do know one thing that we can do. The Bible teaches us to pray. And the Bible teaches us to seek God on behalf of the persecuted. Um, it, it teaches us that, that the prayers of righteous people, they, have, they, they prevail in this world. That it stirs the heart of God and it does something to inspire other people. And, and so in the very least, as a church, we're, we're going to pray. And we're going to actually pray together right now uh, on Memorial Day, uh, not just for our land and not just for our nation, Um, but for our brothers and sisters around the globe. And so I would ask you um, to stand with me and we are going to seek God together. Can we do this? Can we do this? All right. Let's pray together. I'll lead us. So God, we humbly come before you and we call you Father. Um, You are the one who cares for us. And we are so grateful um, so grateful to live in a land where there is freedom, where there is liberty, where we can worship, where we can speak our minds, where we can dissent from government without the fear of of being persecuted. So God, help us to enjoy our freedom, help us to protect our freedom, help us to engage the, the, the culture around us so that those freedoms can be secured for our children. God, we are so thankful for this land. And God, we, we think of our brothers and sisters around the globe mostly in the Middle East right now, who are facing incredible persecution. God, we literally lift them before you. God, we ask that you would somehow make their faith strong. God, help them to stand with you and for you, no matter the cost. God, I I pray that you would actually make a way for them and their families to be free, to God somehow to escape the persecution that comes their way. God, that you would provide for them in miraculous ways. But most of all, secure their hearts, God. Secure their souls. God, help them to love you most in this world, no matter what comes their way. And God, I pray for the leaders of our land and leaders of our nation. God, that they would recognize the evil in our world and that as a nation, we would stand against that evil. That we would do something about that evil. So God, give our leaders wisdom, give them courage, give them insight to what needs to be done, and help us as a little church, God, um, to stand with our brothers and sisters in any way we can. In Jesus' name, we say amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. I want to do something a little bit different today um, because it is a holiday weekend and a whole bunch of people are gone. Um, I want to do something a little bit different than what I was planning on doing. You see, I I was gearing up for a brand new series called This Is How We Do It. 
yeah, yeah, this is how we do it. It was going to be a series, it's a series about our values, about how we do it, because we want to be a church that is not only known for doing things, but we want to be a church that's known for how we do things, that we do things with love, and we do things with excellence, and we do things with passion, and we do it together, these values, that there's some things that drive us as a community, and so we're going to push that back a week because everybody being gone and all that kind of stuff, you see, because it's a holiday, you all get to get out of town. Me, I never get to get out of town on a holiday. But I'm not bitter. Don't worry about that. I'm not bitter. Ever since I went to counseling for it, it's okay. Right? No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So, but, but seriously, um, so we're going to push that back. And what I want to do is I want to lead us into something totally different. Um, it's been something that's been stirring in me for, for quite a while. And um, it's going to be challenging, I think, for a whole bunch of us uh, today. But I want to begin by asking you just a little question that's been kind of wrestling uh, in, inside my heart. You see, because when I read the scriptures, especially the New Testament, it, it's clear, it's clear to me that there is a life out there that God rewards. So the question is, is this, what kind of life is it that God rewards? And, and maybe even more particular, let me ask you another way. Do you even want a life that God rewards? Do you even want a life that he looks at one day when you take your final breath, that he looks at you and says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into joy today. Friends, I'm going to say it very honestly. I, this can sound selfish, but I, I don't mean it to. I want that life. I want that life. I, I want a life that God looks at and says, well done. I, I want a life that, that God rewards. And, and so this is going to be really old school for some of y'all in this room, but do y'all remember the uh, movie Gladiators? Remember that movie Gladiator? It was a blockbuster kind of a hit. And uh, there was a powerful scene in this movie uh, just before engaging the German barbarians in battle. General Maximus, he addresses some of the Roman soldiers and he says this little line. He says, brothers, what we do in this life echoes in any, yes, eternity. What a powerful statement. What we do in this life echoes throughout eternity. Now, General Maximus was a Roman pagan, right? But what he spoke was incredibly biblically true. The Bible teaches us very clearly that what we do with our days, what we do with the breath that God gives us, literally does echo throughout eternity. That God literally rewards the life that we live right here and right now. Now, some of you might already know this. Some of you might get this uh, already. But I want to make sure we all understand exactly what the Bible teaches. I'm going to put a little statement up here. And, and some of you might be uncomfortable with this statement. But I think this is entirely true of what the Scripture speaks. It says this. It says, while our faith... Can we get that up there? Anybody back there? Okay. There we go. Edit that from the video, okay? So it says this, pay close attention. It says, while our faith determines our eternal destination, our behavior determines our eternal rewards. I want you to think about that. There are two different issues going on here. While our faith determines where we're going to spend eternity, our behavior, what we do in response to that faith, determines the eternal war rewards we will reap. And I know this makes some uncomfortable in this room because, um, because we know clearly how we become saved. You know this idea of being saved? Like, like God snatches me from the pit of hell. Because if I was left to my own devices, it would not go well. But the Bible speaks of this idea that God comes along. And because of this thing called faith, because of this thing called belief, that, that I'm made different, that, that my soul changes direction. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that there's this word that God applies to our life that changes the course of our eternity. Anybody remember that word? We say it all the time around here. Grace, right? Grace. Um, the, the, the scriptures teach that, that goodness does not save us. 
And that's a bummer for some of us in this room because some of us got our act together. Some of y'all really got your act together. And you look at your life and you go, I'm not, I may not like have it all together, but I'm doing pretty doggone good. And, and you know what? You're good at being good and I'm glad you're really good, but it's a real bummer for you because goodness is not what changes your eternity. It doesn't. And some of you are really good at being good. But it's not enough. And, and so when we hear that kind of thing, you go, whoa, 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 what, what is enough? I mean, what do you have to do then if, if, like, if really, really good is not good enough to get this thing called heaven, to get this thing called paradise, to get this thing called eternity with God, then what do I have to do? Do I have to be perfect? Yep. You do. You see, the scripture teaches us that God is holy. And the scripture teaches us that, that this thing called heaven is, is perfect. I mean, think about this. If, 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 if Jeremy was led into heaven by his own devices and just come in any old way I want, it would no longer be heaven for the rest of you perfect people, right? It would all crumble immediately because I would drag all of my sin, all of my junk, all of my disappointments, all of my hurt right into heaven. And it would no longer be heaven. It would look more like here. And that's no longer heaven. Right? And so Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to give you grace. God the Father, he is loving. He's holy. And he says, oh yeah, you can come into heaven on your own if you're perfect. If you can fit in and sit right next to God with no help at all, you're fine. Come on in. But my guess is very few of us in this room are qualified for that. So God is holy, but God is loving and graceful. And he looks at me and goes, Jeremy, you have no hope. You have no hope on your own. None. And I say, thank God. Because he says, I give you grace. I give you redemption. I give you forgiveness. Not because you deserve it, not because you earn it, but because I want to do this for you. But here's the deal. He doesn't give faith um, that leads to salvation to everyone. Do Do you know this? The scripture is very clear that you have to put your faith in Jesus, the son of God, the redeemer, the Messiah, the hope of salvation for all. That he gives his grace freely to anyone who comes to faith, puts your trust, puts your hope in his son named Jesus. That's the gospel. That's what the scripture teaches us. So it is by faith, Paul comes along and he teaches in this book of, uh, called Ephesians. He says, uh, it's not by your works that you're, that you're saved, that you can go to heaven. But it is through faith and faith alone. And this is by grace of God. It is a free gift so that nobody could boast about it. God is the only one who can boast. He says, I did this, I did this, this is all about me, it ain't about you, you stink, you can't can't even hardly get out of bed straight. I'm going to get you someplace where you can't get on your own. Woo! Thank God. Thank God for that. Now listen, so are we all on the same page that there is this faith that saves us? It determines our eternal destiny. But listen, friends, but there is a behavior in response to that faith that determines our eternal reward. There is a life out there somewhere that God wants to reward, that God wants to somehow bless in extraordinary ways. And I'm not sure totally what that looks like. I'm not sure what that feels like. I'm not entirely sure if it's all there on the other side or if it's all here on this side. I personally think it's a little bit of both on this side and a little bit of both on that side. Um, I'm not entirely sure what it looks like, but I just know that the scripture teaches that there is a life out there that God wants to reward. And I want to live that life. I want to live that life. I want God to look at me and say, well done. Well done. And I want God to look at our church and the people of our church. And I want God to say, well done. Listen, simple faith that saves is not good enough to this res- in response to a God who is so loving and so good to us. The kind of response that he deserves is the kind of life that's transformed, the kind of life that changes, the kind of love that, uh, life that moves purposely toward him and with him. 
And so there is this life out there that God wants to reward. Jesus says it like this. Listen, he says, for the Son of Man, this is found in, in Matthew 16, for the Son of Man, that's, he's speaking about himself, he's called the Son of Man, he's going to come in his Father's glory with all of his angels. So he's like, there's a day, and you may not even know this, but this ain't all there is. Because one day it says that, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to finish the story, that he's coming for a second coming. And when he does, it's going to be bad to the bone. I mean, he's coming in all of the glory of God the Father, all of it. And he's going to have like the band, people are going to be doo, 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 playing trumpets, the whole deal. And, and they're going to have like an army coming down. It is going to be a big stinking deal. All of the Father's glory. And then he says this, in that moment... When all the Father's glory comes, listen to what he says. He says, then he will reward. What is this word? He will what? Reward each person according to what he has done. There is a faith that, that, that elicits a response in us that literally gives us reward in eternity. It's different than a faith that saves. Listen to Jesus. Jesus comes along and he he tells this uh, teaching. And he takes this moment. He's at this party. And all this stuff is happening. And he he takes this moment to give us insight to what the kingdom of God is really like. And and it's found in in the book of uh, Luke chapter 14. It says this. Jesus is uh, talking to the host of this party. And he says this. When you give a luncheon or a dinner... He says, do not invite your friends. Pause for a second. Who else do you invite? I mean, who else do you invite? If you're anything like me, I don't just like go to the open phone book and start going, well, would you like to come to dinner? No. You you invite your friends. But listen, Jesus is making this point. He's blowing this thought way up. He says this. He says, so when you give this dinner date, he says, do not invite your friends or your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. For if you do, listen, for if you do, they may invite you back so that you'll be repaid. In other words, he says, yeah, it might be real nice that you're giving this big party. You're going to have all these people over. It might cost you a little bit, but you know what's going to happen. They're going to invite you right back over to their house. And what goes around comes around. You're going to get it back in full. It's not going to cost you anything at all. In the end of the day, it goes back and forth between you and your friends. But in the kingdom of God, he says it's different than that. He, he ramps it up from a little dinner date. Now he goes to a banquet. He says, but when you give a banquet, I'm like, Jesus, I'm like, woo, I was just thinking of like dinner. Now he's ratcheting it up to a full-scale banquet party, right? He says, now when you give a party like that, he goes, let me tell you what you do. He says, you go out and you invite the poor, the crippled, and the lame, and the blind. And when you do that, you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you in this world. In other words, they can't bring anything to the table, they can't give anything back to you, and they don't even have a home to invite you back over to. But he says, when you do this, they cannot repay you, but you will be, what's the word? Repaid, rewarded. When? When? Not in this life. When? At the resurrection. When he rewards all men and all women for what they have done in this life, not just for what they have believed, but what they have done with their belief. A day's coming, friends. And, and I'm not sure what this all looks like. Again, I'm not sure if it's all in this life, but all I know is that there is a life that God rewards. It goes beyond faith. It reaches into our behavior. It's about our obedience. It's about our faithfulness. I mean, I think of some of the persecuted brothers and uh, sisters around the globe, and, and, and they stand in their faith in the moment of the worst atrocities. And I just wonder, what if that was me? What if that was my family? Would I be willing to go to the very end following Jesus? Would I have that reward so locked into my mind that nothing else matters? And here's here's how Jesus says it in the book of Revelation. He says, there's coming a day, chapter 2, it's coming a day that you're going to have to make this decision for your own life. 
your own life. Here's how he says it. He says this, don't be afraid about what you will suffer. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. He says, don't be afraid of what you will su- about what you will suffer. He goes, pause, you're going to suffer. It's going to happen. It's going to come. There will be a moment of testing in your life. Listen to what he says. He goes, he goes, the devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. It's going to happen. There's going to be terrible things that come. And some of those things, some of them, are going to be a test as to where you are going to stand and who you are going to be and what you are becoming, what you value in this world. Listen to what he says. This is crazy. He goes, you will suffer for 10 days. Now, you know it has nothing to do with 10 days. That statement has nothing to do with 10 days. It's a statement that it's more than a weekend. It's more than an overnight. It's more than a day trip. That this suffering may last long periods in your life. There might be years of struggle for you. And he's saying, where will you end? Where will you come down on this? He goes, this, because he goes, but if you remain, what's this word? But if you remain, what if you remain faithful? He says, if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you a crown of life. He says, there is a life that God rewards. There is a life where faith has transformed you in such a way that it carries on into eternity and it results in a reward for you that goes beyond just getting into heaven by the skin of your teeth. There's got to be something more than that, friends. I I know this is like a holiday weekend and I don't want to be a downer for anybody. Um, And I know I've thrown a lot of Bible verses at you already but I want us to get this, friends. I want us to wrestle with the kind of life you want. I want us to wrestle with the kind of faith that is real to you. Let me, let me read something else. Paul writes this letter to the church of Corinth, and it's a bunch of baby Christians, a lot like a lot of us in this room, just kind of new to this whole faith deal, trying to figure this out. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to build their life because the world around them is persecuting them. The world around them is coming against them. And, and Paul says, listen, how you invest your life is, in, is incredibly important. It's critical on what you build your life around. And he gives this little teaching to this small little church. It's it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, he says, anyone who builds on on a foundation may use a variety of materials. In other words, you're going to build a life. You're going to build a life. And there's all kinds of ways you can build your life. Very interesting. He says this, he goes, some of you are going to build out of gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, Fire will reveal the kind of work each builder has done. Pause for a second. You do realize you're going to die. Right? We're not like a hell, brimstone, and fire church. But you do realize that you get one shot at this thing. One day you will take your final breath and people go, well, I got lots of time. Oh, I'm 20 years old. No! You can leave here and you can get hit by a semi-truck right now. Are you crazy? He says, you better make sure you're building your life on something that matters. Because one day when you take your last breath, you will stand before God. And I think you know this. People go, no, 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 God's loving. No, 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 you doggone well know that you will stand before God. And then this is what it says. The fire will show a, person, a person's work if it has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive this what? What is it? A reward. The builder will receive a reward. But but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Now listen to this. This is very interesting because he's writing to the Christians. This is not an issue of eternal destiny. This is an issue of eternal reward he speaks of. Because he says this. He says, now remember, it's going to be burned up. But the builder will be what? Saved. The builder will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through a wall of flames. Do you see what's going on? He tells us with clarity that, that there is this judgment seat that every believer is going to stand before God, and you're going to give an account to every moment of your life. And some of us are going to be going, Whoo, at least I made it into heaven by the skin of my teeth. That's not good enough. That is not good enough. 
to live this kind of life that says, okay, I know I'm saved, and I know God loves me, and I know I love him, and, and, and you know, he has changed a few little things. I give money now to the church. That's way better than before. He's saying, what kind of response are you going to have to the faith that saves you? Because it determines your eternity. What goes on there? Our work, listen, friends, he, he talks about this idea of building a life. And, and what does it mean to have a life um, that, that, that God rewards? I, I'm not exactly sure, but I know that it involves our everything. It involves our time. It involves our resources. It involves our talents. It involves our hands. It involves our eyes. It involves our feet. It involves our heart. It involves our love. It involves our energy. It involves our passions. It involves every part of who we are. I just know that this is what it's going to take to have a life that God rewards. One that he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. In a moment, Pastor Greg is going to um, take us a little further into this, and Chad's going to lead us into kind of a, a response time. Um, but I can't help but to think of one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever taught. you remember what a parable is? Do you remember what a, It's an earthly story with a, come on, heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story that carries an eternal consequence to it. It's an earthly story that all of us can relate to, but it carries the punch of eternity with it. And Jesus was the master parable teller. He was the storyteller. And one day he tells a story about this idea of the life that God rewards. He, he, he's, he speaks of a man who is, who is uh, looking at, over his life and he's looking over all of his investments. He's looking over his, his career that he's built, the money that he's amassed, and, and, and the retirement that he's going to have. And it says that Jesus is speaking. Jesus says, this man kicks back and looks out over all of his stuff. And, and he goes, man, do I got a lot of junk. Matter of fact, the stuff is coming out, overflowing out of my house. I can't even keep it in my house. I got to do something about this. And so the man who's looking at it over all that his life has built, he goes, you know what I got to do? I got to tear down all of my barns and I got to build bigger ones for all the stuff that I built. Now pause for a second. Not one time, not one time does Jesus ever condemn the stuff. Not, not one time does Jesus ever condemn careers or ambitions or, or goals or wanting to take care of your family or anything like that. What he condemns is the heart that is totally off base because this man kicks back and goes, Woo, look at all my stuff. Look at all my stuff. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick back even more. I'm going to have people build me bigger barns. And if I get more stuff, I'm going to tear those ones down. I'll even build bigger ones and bigger ones. And I'm going to get more and more stuff to fill that up. And then he says this. And then he says, I'm going to look back over my life and he has this little phrase. He says, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. In other words, not today, somewhere down the line, long time down the line, 30 years, 20 years, 10 years down the line, I'm going to die. But for today, it's party time, baby. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus comes along and goes, you fool. He calls him a fool. He says, I'm not you're not a fool because of the stuff that you have. It's because where your heart is. You, he, then Jesus comes along and he says, he, he, he says this crazy idea. He goes, you are rich in this world, but your problem is you are not rich toward God. You have built nothing in the kingdom of God. Your faith is only this thick. You've not built a life around the things of eternity. Jesus went on to say that a wise man somehow, in some way, figures out how to get treasure there, not so much here, but figures out how to get it there. Friends, I implore you. I beg you. Live a life that God will reward. It will mean changing some things. It will mean changing some ambitions. It will, remain, it will, it will mean changing some of what you do with your time. 
your energy, your resources, your possessions, your talents, your heart, your love, your energies. Be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. Now, Pastor Greg is going to take this thought just a little bit further. But before we do that, here's what we're going to do. I asked Chad to come, and he is going to lead us into a time of reflection, not a time of singing. If you want to sing, that's okay. But I want you to reflect deeply about the life that you want. And I want you to reflect deeply about the life that you have. Is it one that God would say, well done, well done? You can stand, you can sit, you can sing, you can do whatever you want. But just reflect. Hey, man. <laughs> what else do you say to that? You know, Jeremy introduced us a few minutes ago to this idea of the kind of life that God rewards, right? So what I want to do just for the next few minutes is I want to explore the idea of is it worth it? Right? That's what I want to explore just for a minute. Is it really worth it to live this kind of life? Now, how many of you remember 1993? Anybody? 1993? I was, I was 22 years old in 1993. But you remember the number one song of 1993? Anybody? It's by a, 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 a guy named Meatloaf. Remember Meatloaf? Right? I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Now, if you're like me, the minute you hear that song, just the title of it, you have this irresistible urge inside of you that you just want to belt it out, don't you? Is anybody with me on this? So I'm going to give you a chance to do it. Now listen, you got to join me in this or I'm going to look like an idiot. Because I've, I've got to do this. I'll feel much better if I do, right? So you got to do this with me. Ready? Now, if you remember Meatloaf, he was very dramatic. Got really passionate and into it, right? So you got to do this with me. Are you ready? You ready? I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Remember? Isn't that good? Yeah, you feel better now, don't you? I knew you would. But, but you got to admit, that's an interesting thought. I would do anything for love. I won't do that. Now, nobody's quite sure what that is that he wouldn't do. But it does kind of get it a good question here, right? So you think about the things that really matter to you, the things that, that you value in life, the things that you find that are worth it. And at the end of the day, the question is, is there anything that you wouldn't do for the things that matter to you? Now, of course, this gets right at the heart, I think, of what it means to be human, doesn't it? Because this is how humans are. Humans never do anything unless they think it's worth it. Isn't that true? I mean, I don't think anybody ever does anything unless they think it's worth it. Now, there might be things that you do that you don't particularly enjoy doing in and of themselves, but you still do them because it's worth it, right? You've heard the phrase, no pain, no gain. So you still do it because it's worth it to you. This is how humans are, I think. We have this innate sense of the value or the worth of things. And, and I think this is part of what it means to be created in the image of God. Right? I think this is true. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the word worship, the root word of the word worship is the word worth. It's true. It's a combination of two words. It's an old English word, worth-ship. They combine it into one modern English word, Worship. It's this idea of worthiness, right? As humans, we worship whatever we think is most worthy. Whatever you think is most worth it in life is the thing that you worship. So assigning worth to something comes naturally to us, right? It's, it's the reason behind everything that we do. We only do it if we believe God's worth it. And the Bible's not naive about this. In fact, God's not unaware of this. God understands this about us because this is how he created us. See, God likes this about us. He made us this way because God's this way. I don't know if you know that, but God doesn't do anything unless he thinks it's worth it. And he's kind of hardwired this into us. In fact, this is the idea. If you want to understand what the concept in the Bible, the Bible says that God is righteous. You ever heard that word, righteous? And God expects us to be, calls us to be righteous. Have you ever wondered what that word really means? What does it mean to be righteous? 
Well, if you study this word throughout the scripture, what you'll find that that, that really the idea behind that word righteous is that you ascribe greatest worth to what is most worthy. You value what's most valuable. You love what's most lovable. You find most worthy what is really most worth it. Is what it means to be righteous. It means you do what is right. You have the right value system. You ascribe the greatest worth to these things. And so God wants us to be righteous, which means he, he wants us to do things because they're truly worth it. He never asks you to do anything that you don't think is worth it. But he wants you to ha- understand what truly is worth it. He wants, to join, he wants you to join him in being righteous. In, in, in understanding what is truly valuable, what's truly worth it. Which is why the biblical writers are constantly trying to motivate us. Have you noticed this? In the Bible, there are these unblushing promises of reward. Over and over again, they're trying to motivate you. It's clear in the Bible that there is a kind of life that God rewards. And the the consistent testimony of the scripture is that that following Jesus, that, that living a life of obedience and service to God is actually worth it. That's what the scripture says. In fact, one of the most striking examples of this are are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. I just want you to see this. Look at the way Jesus is trying to to argue here, what he's trying to get us to believe. He says, blessed are you when people hate you. That's a good way to start off a sentence, don't you think? (laughs) Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So Jesus says, when people do this to you, on account of me, blessed are you. Look what he says next. He says, rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Now, you think about what Jesus is trying to say here. Jesus is saying that if you believe the reward is worth it, You'll keep following Jesus even if people hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn you because of it. If you think it's worth it, you'll keep following Jesus even when these things happen. If you don't think it's worth it, you won't. So what would happen if if the things that are happening overseas right now to Christians around the world, right? people are having to decide, is it worth it? Am I willing to give up my life for the sake of my faith in Christ? People are having to make that decision around the world. What would you decide? Is it worth it? Jesus seems to think it is. The testimony of the Bible is that it is. And so, but but you know, when you really get to the heart of it, what does it mean for something to be worth it? Because that sounds nice, right? Okay. Leap for joy when people are hating me. Because it's worth it. But but is it really? I think that's a good question, right? And God wants you to ask that question. Is it really worth it? How do you decide? How do you know if it's really worth it? You know, if you're going to give up anything to follow Jesus, is it worth it? And so, you know, as I think about that question, how do you decide if something's worth it? You know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that likes to sit around and think about these sorts of things. And so I, I put my head to this and I think, okay, how, I mean, the decisions I make in life, the ones I think are worth it, why do I think they're worth it? What am I after? What am I really looking for? And I, I, I think it boils down to one of four things. And I, you, you test this for yourself. And you, you ask yourself if there's anything in life that you're running after that doesn't boil down to one of these four things. I think they, it, it's true. Four things that we're after in life. Number one is love. Isn't that true? Don't we want to be loved? Is there any happier moment in life than when you feel the most love for another person? Or you feel most loved by another person? But I, I have found it's, there's more joy... In, in loving someone, even then in being loved. You think about your kids when they're born. You know, they can't even love you back. Newborn children. But there's just this love that's just incredible. And it's the happiest moment in life, you know. And we're after this. We're longing for love in life. And, and number two, I think, is beauty. Now, I just got back from the Grand Canyon a couple weeks ago. And I'm telling you, you could just sit there and stare all day. I mean, there, there's an unexplainable happiness when you're in the presence of something beautiful, it's effortless. And we're, we're striving. We want to be in the presence of beauty in life. You know, music is that. When there's all kinds of different forms of beauty that we're searching for. I think number three is we're after pleasure. 
I mean, that's true, isn't it? There's a reason why sex sells. Right? I mean, we're after this. We're running after pleasure. And there's nothing inherently wrong with the desire. God put these desires in us. God made us this way. Now, there are wrong ways to pursue these things. But in and of themselves, the desires are good and godly. Number four thing I think think we're after is we're after adventure in life. Right? Everybody, men and women alike, we all want a good adventure. We want something to accomplish, something to achieve. We want to feel that sense of adventure in life. And so we're hardwired for these things. These are the things we value. And I don't think there's anything that doesn't fit into this. But, you know, all of us have our own order of importance, right? You could, you could rank these in whatever order you want. And all of us have one that's most important to us. But I would argue at the end of the day, there is nothing that you wouldn't do. Nothing. For whichever of those four things is most important to you. There's absolutely nothing you wouldn't do. The only reason Meatloaf could say, I would do anything for love, but I wouldn't do that. The only reason he would say that is because there's something that mattered to him more. One of these other ones was more important to him. Right? That's the only reason he would talk that way. So, which brings us to the, the, the case of the Apostle Paul in the Bible. And so here's where I want to kind of bring all this together. There's this guy in the Bible. His name's Paul. And if you knew who this guy was, this guy literally had everything. I mean, before he became a Christian, this guy was wealthy. I mean, he had, from a worldly perspective, he had wealth, power, prestige, family, friends. I mean, he was one of the rulers of the Jewish people, in charge, popular. Everybody knew who he was, had everything going on, highly educated. And yet, he comes to this point in his life where he decides to give all of that up in order to become a Christian. There are places in the world where it still costs you that much to become a Christian. It's too easy sometimes in America. It's getting harder. It's getting harder. It's going to cost you more. You're going to have to come to grips with some of these kinds of thoughts. Is it really worth it? Here's what Paul said eventually in his life. Now, you catch this. He says, I count everything as loss. And everything to him was a lot. He was one of those guys that had it all. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing what? Worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. I mean, Paul got to the point in his life where he actually looked at Jesus and he said, worth it. And and gave up all else. Now, Now look, Paul was human just like us. It's not like he's some superhero. He's got the same, he was made the same way you were. He's longing for and looking for all the same things you're looking for. I mean, Paul's looking for love. Paul's looking for beauty. He's looking for pleasure. He's looking for adventure in his life. And he had it all. And he looks at Jesus, and and he finally has this clear-headed moment where he says, Jesus is where I'm going to find all those, those things in their highest and best form. I mean, Paul's looking for love, but he believed there was no greater love than the love of Jesus. He was after beauty, but he believed there was no greater beauty than the beauty of Jesus, right? The maker of all beauty. Paul's after pleasure, but he believes there is no greater pleasure than the pleasure of knowing Jesus and doing things his way. Look, sex is just better when you do it God's way. Everything is. Food's better when you enjoy it God's way. God's way is just better, and Paul knows this, the highest pleasures in life are found with God. And Paul was after adventure. And man, did he find an adventure. This guy's life was crazy. There was nothing boring about the Apostle Paul's life. This guy traveled the world. He got shipwrecked. He got beaten. He got thrown in prison. He literally went all around the world and lived an incredible life of adventure. Everything he ever longed for. Paul believed that Jesus was surpassingly great. And was worth any cost it took to follow him. So what Paul did is he rejected the greed, the lust, the selfishness of this world. And literally laid down everything to follow Jesus. And so when he gets to the end of his life, did he think it was worth it? I want you to see some of the last words Paul ever wrote. As as Paul says these words we're going to read right now. Paul is literally in prison. They arrested him in Rome. They put him in prison. And, he, and he's, he's literally just within 
probably days of being executed. This is literally the end of his life. They're about to kill him because he was out promoting and spreading the message of Jesus. And here's what Paul says. The end of his life, he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul gets to the end of his life. He looks at everything he gave up. He looks at Jesus and he says, worth it. Worth it both for this life, but he says, not only for this life. There is waiting for me a crown of righteousness. The righteous judge is going to award to me. There is a life that God rewards both now You taste it now, the love, the joy, the beauty, the pleasure, the adventure. There's a taste of it now, but you ain't seen nothing yet. And Paul got a taste, and he knew what was waiting for him on the other side of this life. He says, there's there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And the righteous judge is going to award it to me. Remember what the word righteous means? It means the one who values what's most valuable. The one who ascribes greatest worth to what's most worthy. The the thing that's most worth it is what God is all about. And what is that thing? What did Paul find that it was? And what does God himself believe that it is? What is most worth it? There was a day when in front of the whole world, a voice boomed from heaven as God looked at his one and only son. He said, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And everyone that had eyes to see saw the thing that was most worth it. The one and only son of God. The the, the one who came into this world and displayed the greatest love there was to display. And the one who promises to give that love to us literally laid down his life for us. And my question to you is, when you look at Jesus, what do you see? Do you see the glory when you look at Jesus? Do you see everything you ever wanted, everything you ever wanted to be, everything that you longed for? Paul did. He gave up everything, and he would do it all over again if he could just have Jesus. So that's the question for us. You really have two choices in life. What are you going to think is most worth it? Jesus or anything else? You ever been to a a, a landfill? (laughs) Ever go to a garbage dump? You know what ends up in garbage dumps, right? Most of the things we spend our lives pursuing. That's what ends up in garbage dumps. Apostle Paul said he looks at all that stuff and he considers it rubbish. That's where it ends up. He considers it rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. The source of true love, the source of all beauty, the source of all pleasure, the source of the greatest adventure that you will possibly ever find both for this life and the life to come. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it ever even entered the heart of man the things God has prepared for those that love him. And so my question to you and the question to myself is, when I look at Jesus, do I think he's worth it? I mean worth it. No matter what it costs me to follow him in this life, is he worth it? If I believe he is, then I'll follow him. No matter what. If I don't, then I won't. That's the question for all of us. I can tell you what I've decided. I've been through a lot of ups and downs in my life. I've been through it. I've had pleasure and pain. I've had good and bad. And through it all, I'm 44 years old. And I can tell you what, for the rest of my life, I got one goal. One goal. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to run after him as hard as I can. And, And my question is you, is there anybody in the room that wants to join me? Is Jesus worth it? If so, let's stand to our feet. And let's take a moment now and just, just respond to this in our hearts. They're gonna, the band's going to sing a song. Chad and Tina are going to lead us into a song that talks about what God does with our brokenness and our pain. You can either choose the brokenness or the pain because that's all this world has to offer us.
you can choose the love, the beauty, the pleasure, and the adventure of knowing Jesus. And he will take your brokenness and pain and he'll make something beautiful from it. Give it up to him. He's worth it. Amen. Let's worship.
place to build your life where the wind can blow and the, the waters can rage and everything can beat against that house but when all is said and done that house will stand there's only one rock like that that rock's name is Jesus is the only solid place to build your life you're going to have a cornerstone in your life there is going to be something you're going to build your life on the question is will it be the right something And in the end, will it be worth it? I believe Jesus will be. I believe Jesus will be. Hey, if you want to connect with someone in prayer, we've got some friends right to my left, to your right. It wouldn't surprise me if you wanted to connect with someone in prayer. I, there are many times in my life I just need to get with someone and, and share what's, what's going on in my heart. I just need to partner with someone and go to God in prayer and ask for his help. And God loves to help us. So if that's you, if you want to connect with someone, just make sure you take advantage of that down front. Otherwise, have a happy Memorial Day. God bless everybody.